Welcome to Wellness Now, a health and wellness information program brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. Each week we go in depth with different healthcare experts on some of your top health questions, getting answers to help you live your best life. Hello and welcome to Wellness Now, presented by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. I'm your host, Dr. Michael White. Myths and old wives' tales are common when it comes to health. So what's the truth behind some of the well, most well-known medical myths? Here to help us debunk these myths is Dr. Sidney Vale, a district medical group physician and chairman for the Department of Surgery at Valleywise Health. Dr. Vale, thank you so much for joining us today. It is a pleasure to be here. So as a doctor, I am sure you've heard your fair share of strange myths that have come up during your practice and your career. How do you respond to these types of questions and stories when people raise them? Well, there's a few different ways. Number one, you have to really pay attention to the person asking the question. Some people are really serious. They just don't know. You don't want to demoralize them. You don't want to be negative to them because they're asking out of sincere honesty and they just don't know. There are other people who I think are making fun of you and trying to push your buttons and those you can laugh with. But they are the serious people, you do take them seriously. I had a person in a very serious way, and she was being sincere, ask if a brain-dead person could get a brain transplant to save a life, and they meant it. They, they were not kidding, and of course, I did not laugh, I did not do anything silly, but did answer the question that no, we're not able to do that. But th again, you have to take it situation by situation. So one of the t questions that you know we hear a lot, or one of the myths that we hear a lot, you know, around that, especially living in a state such as Arizona, is is you need to drink at least eight glasses of water a day. Is there any foundation to that, or is that one of these old wives' tales? Well, there's a whole lot of science behind what people now think is well, should I stay that hydrated, and how much hydration is proper? Because a lot of these come out as we recommend. Okay, we recommend, finish the sentence, please. Are you in Hawaii? Are you in Arizona? Are you in Maine, Massachusetts, Vermont, Florida? It depends. It depends on your activity level. It depends on the humidity level. It depends on the temperature level. There's a whole lot of things it depends on. So the myths are that it's a standard. It can't be a number that is for everybody. So if you take it at face value, it's probably a myth. But if you take it at a reasonable value, it is not a myth. You do need a certain amount of fluid per day. We tell people, watch your urine. If it stays light color, you're doing great for hydration. And we'll stick with that. No, and I would agree, and especially somebody like me who treats patients who tend to retain fluid around that. It's one of these questions that we get a lot, and you know, one of the most common medications I prescribe is to get water out of people. So I, I agree, it's that conversation of that. And I think if you're, you're true in, in your thoughts is, is if your urine is you know fairly pale color, you're probably doing a-okay. Yep. Um, one of the other fascinating myths that we often hear, we don't utilize our brains to the fullest capacity, i.e. we only use about 10% of our cognitive capacity. Is there any truth to that? We don't know what we don't know. PET scans, CAT scans, MRIs, functional brain scans, we know that there are parts of the brain that are underutilized or maybe even not utilized. I think, again, every patient is going to be different. Every person is different. Some people are able to utilize their brains more to a better extent, more brain function, if you will. Look at Albert Einstein versus me. I think he used a whole lot more of his brain than I probably use of my brain. The fact is, it comes down to common sense, good sense, and just do the right thing 
for the right reasons. And that means you're using the right amount of brain power to live your life. How do you use more brain power? I haven't a clue. The humans have evolved in this way. And, you know, the cognitive capacity, the ability to think is going to change and it's going to continue to change and evolve as our species evolves around that to maximize, you know, how this goes. So another fascinating question that, you know, that sometimes will happen is, do our hair and our fingernails continue to grow after we die? They do. They actually do. The metabolic responses of the body, some of them just shut down when you die. That is a known fact. But there are other functions that do continue. We've actually seen people's hair go gray almost overnight, if you will, in the dying process and after death. Uh, nails do grow. Changes still happen to the body. It's called the deterioration of cellular function. So yes, there are certain things that will continue after the body dies that it's nature. You don't stop it. But no one just wakes up and resumes life again after death. That does not happen. If you're just tuning in, we're debunking the top medical myths with Dr. Sidney Vale. Valleywise Health offers exceptional health care at several locations across Maricopa County. If you need medical care or have questions for one of our clinicians, visit valleywisehealth.org to get started. You know, one of those old myths is if you pull out a gray hair, it, more will just continue to grow in its place. And this is coming from two gentlemen that have a fair bit of gray hair uh, at this particular <laughs> point. So, I think if you speak to a female, they will tell you never pull gray hair because you'll get more. You know, for men, it's wisdom highlights. Uh, I'm convinced that's what gray hair is for men. Uh, women just don't like it. They want to color it and they don't pull it because they think more will come. I think that is a complete myth. Once you pull out a single uh, hair follicle, you do not get two in its place. Uh, that is a true myth. A lot of folks will say as we shave, you know, shave our body hair and things like that, it will just grow back faster, darker, and coarser. Is there any truth to that? If you're one of my dogs, the answer is absolutely yes. Uh, the hair grows in crazy ways every time we shave the poor dog. It grows back, yes. It stimulates uh, growth. Does it come back darker? I, For me, it always came in grayer, so <laughs> I don't think that's a truth th uh, thing. Coarser, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I don't see many people who shave their heads and then grows in. Uh, that people talk about it coming in coarser. I think your hair is your hair based on your genetics. I don't think you can alter that. But certainly, you can stimulate growth with shaving. Another one that we often see, and I know that I am guilty of more probably than any, is you know reading when you don't have good light. And does that, and can that have an adverse effect on your eyesight? Okay, personal experience. My wife likes to read in the dark. I read in bright light. Um, I know that there is such a thing as eye strain. The amount of light that can get into your eye is dependent on the person. Every two people are different. So you can't, again, make a standard statement like the water statement that you shouldn't read in low light. So I think that is a complete myth. If you can read adequately and you're not straining, and it's up to the person to know are they straining or not. If you're not straining, have fun. Read in the dark. Yeah, and, you know, and some of those signs of straining is are you having to adjust the length of, of where you're placing the item that you're reading? Are you bringing it closer? Are you moving it more further away? Are you having to prop yourself, especially if you're reading in bed? You have to prop yourself different to see the book. Those are signs of that straining, and I agree. If you're struggling to read, it's not light enough <laughs> to, to read what you're reading. 
as we are approaching fall, even though the weather quite hasn't changed yet to get into the fall temperatures here around that, we're starting to get closer and closer to Thanksgiving. And one of the most famous myths around Thanksgiving is eating turkey will make you tired and drowsy. Is there any, you know, truth around that? So it's actually more the potatoes than the turkey. Tryptophan is an amino acid that is part of a Thanksgiving meal. It's in a lot of foods. And the fact is, even eating anything can cause you to have a little bit of tiredness in your ways. Uh, that's a metabolic phenomenon. It is a natural phenomenon because most foods are not stimulants. It's not caffeine containing. So yes, there is actually truth to the fact that turkey and potatoes will cause you to be a little more tired. But then again, you eat something very sugary or sweet, you will get the same effect from insulin. So that is not a myth, that is a truth. How about drinking warm milk? Sort of on that same vein, you know, some people will say, I need to drink a glass of warm milk at night before I go to bed because it helps me tired and go to sleep. I would assume uh, that would make me sick to my stomach trying that one, but I guess you could try it. I, I think a lot of those come from historical, I don't want to call them myths, but, you know, grandma's recipe for X, Y, or Z, and warm milk was calming. It's not stimulating like it's cold, ice cold, which stimulates your body. Warm things do have a comforting sensation, and I think it's more, probably a little bit more mental than physical or physiological. But yes, it could work for some people. It's like drinking tea at night. Uh, some people say that works really well to help them go to sleep, an herbal tea. One of the other things that we hear a lot, especially in the environment that we work in here within the hospital, is, is it's not safe to use our cell phones with, within the hospital because the phones will interfere with the hospital equipment. Is there any truth to that today? No, and in fact, I just read an article the other day while flying that they are, the FAA is considering allowing cell phone use on planes. It is interesting if you talk to pilots, they are on their phones when they're in the cockpit. So I think we've debunked that one. And in fact, back in the days when cell phones in the ICU could mess up a ventilator or some piece of machinery, we debunked that very early on. But remember back in the day, we did not allow cell phones in the ICUs. You and I are of an age in our careers where we remember when cell phones came into practice to be able to carry those in the hospitals as we got rid of our pagers. and. I do remember those times, and I do not remember any problems at all. Dr. Sidney Vale is demucking the top medical myths and old wives' tales. You can make a virtual or in-person appointment with a district medical group provider at ValleyWise Health by calling 833-855-9973 Monday through Friday from 7.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. or by visiting valleywisehealth.org and clicking the book appointment button. We see a lot of people that uh, come in you know, at various times with hypothermia or being cold. One of the old wives tales that we hear oftentimes is we lose the majority of our body heat through our head. Is that true? Oh yes, the head is a fabulous place to lose heat, which is why we tell people who are in the colder weather, put a hat on. It literally does save your heat. So when it, heat leaves your body in several ways, but the head is one of the ways that we can conserve heat by putting something around the head. Yes. You know, also on the same vein is, you know, a lot of times we'll see folks that are in, you know, various accidents and get told that they have a concussion. And one of the, you know, people will say, 
well, now you need to st keep this individual awake because there's a danger following that this concussion. Is there any truth to that at all? Back in the 1950s and 60s when all this started, they didn't have the technology we have today. They didn't have the knowledge we have today. So the answer is no, you don't have to do that anymore. We don't wake a person every hour like we used to suggest uh, because what we were watching for was deterioration or negative effects from the concussion because nowadays we CAT scan almost everybody who comes into the trauma center for good reasons. But back then we did not do those kind of tests and the best test we had was to see are they awake and alert and oriented. And to do that, you'd have to wake them up. So now we say, go to sleep, be fine, please don't wake them up, let them get their rest. In fact, we now know that the brain recovers better when rested versus when stimulated. And I think this is one of those prime examples where the knowledge as we've gotten more sophisticated and learned more about these processes that, you know, technology has helped us here. You're exactly right. You know, prior to this, before we could see what was going on inside the, inside the head, you know, with some of these, you know, CAT scans, MRIs, et cetera, um, around it, the only way was to say, hey, you know, can, can I still wake this person up and, and make sure that they know who they are and where they are? Mm -hmm. um, you know, also on this is, you know, we're a very active society and a lot of folks enjoy swimming as one of their activities. One of those things is, can I go swimming just after I ate or do I need to wait a prescribed amount of time prior to going back in the water? So that was a great myth because even as a kid, I wasn't allowed in the water for, what, 45 minutes or an hour after eating. The theory was your body sends so much of its energy to the stomach, to the intestines, to digest your food, that there's not enough blood flow to your arms and legs and you'll drown because you don't have enough blood flow. Yeah, that's a complete myth. You can swim, just don't get sick to your stomach because exerting a lot of energy after eating, some people get very nauseated and can throw up. And I think that's more of the risk than anything else. But. Yeah. You know, also, you know, we're seeing a lot. And, you know, one of the other things is, is as people age, they tend to lose height or shrink as they age. Is there any truth to that? Yes, there is. It is a natural phenomenon. If you think about the building blocks of your spine. It's bones that are built one on top of the other, and they all have a defined height. As you age, that height actually goes down. The space between those building blocks gets a little less, and each of the building blocks can start to crumble a little bit at a time. So yes, it is a full truth that people actually shrink, can shrink, as they age. As people get older and they start to have you know changes in their joints those of us that cracked our knuckles you know as we were younger and things are going to start to develop arthritis is there any truth to that no truth whatsoever how about you know the assertion that taking you know supplements such as vitamin c and things can help us you know fight and overcome a cold is there anything to that there actually is. I mean, immune systems in everybody are different. And what you're trying to do is enhance your immune system and make it function the best it can. And some of those supplements actually are good and safe. But like anything else in this world, you have to do it in moderation. You have to know what the science is behind it, not the, so much the theory, but the actual science, because there are people that will take supplements to an excess and they can get themselves in trouble. 
Um, you can get toxicity to some of these supplements. You can really hurt your body. We've seen kidney failure, liver failure from supplements. So there is such a thing as overdoing it, but yes, you can enhance your immune system, whether it's probiotics, uh, vitamins. You gotta be smart about it. Uh, do ask your doctor about that because most of them are safe, but in moderation, some can be literally lethal if taken incorrectly. Agreed. And, you know, it's as you just well articulated, anything, you know, is, is okay. You got to be moderate. You got to be in moderation and think a little bit around that. You know, one of the challenges that we have is we go through and we go through age, especially in our, as we're going through puberty and aging is around acne. And there's a lot of, you know, uh, myth around that eating sweet foods such as candy can cause people to have worsening of their acne. Is there any truth to that? Oh boy, my kids used to ask me that. Um, the only thing, and I'm going to put a little science behind this and try and not get too technical. When you eat too much sugar, you are using, that sugar starts to attach to your white blood cells. And it's called glycosylation. And we do know that cells don't function as well. And the white blood cells are the ones that attack infections, bacteria, whatever. And acne comes as a small infection within the dermis, within the skin itself. And if your white blood cells, your immune system aren't functioning to peak performance, is there a chance that could worsen your acne? Yes. Will it cause acne? Absolutely not. But in keeping it in tow, keeping it in check, yeah, there might be a little bit of truth to that. Can I prove that? Absolutely not. That is absolutely a theory, but I would say it does not cause acne, but it may prevent you from letting it get better by eating too much sugar. Now, again, sugar in moderation. I think that's probably just fine. If you're eating an excess amount of sugary foods, number one, you're gaining weight inappropriately, but number two, yeah, you might have a problem. But again, it goes back to genetics, and it's just, if it's in your unlucky cards, you're going to get acne. Yeah. You know, the other one is around uh, some of these is around sleepwalking. You know, we'll often hear that it's dangerous to wake somebody that you encounter that may be sleepwalking, you know, as they have this condition. Is there any, you know, science behind that? The only danger I know of, because we've had patients, families who they got knocked out by the sleepwalker who arouses and is so freaked out by waking up that they attacked the person that woke them up. So no, you should, you can wake them up. There's no danger to it, but just make sure that it's in a safe area in a safe environment. If you're just tuning in, we're debunking the top medical myths with Dr. Sidney Vale. The five second rule is one of these myths that we say, you know, around that. If we drop something, you know, on the floor, et cetera, is it still safe to eat? Is there any truth around a five-second rule? So because we are in the presence of somebody who's going to be having a baby soon, um, I always go back to motherhood because this is where I think the, the five-second rule came from. The first child, if you drop a pacifier, you either throw it out or you put it in boiling water to sterilize it. On your second child, you will take it, <clears throat> excuse me, you'll wipe it off with your napkin and then stick it back in your kid's mouth. By your third child, you pick it up off the ground, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten seconds and stick it right back in the kid's mouth. Um, it depends on the environment. What's, if you're working in a hospital, I would never pick anything up on the floor and put it back in my mouth. No way. Absolutely not. But if I'm at home where it's a clean environment, yeah, I, I'd probably consider it. No. <laughs> and again, it's just, a, I totally agree. It's, it's a matter of where you are and what it is um, uh, around it that we're picking back up from there.
One of the other myths that we often hear, not so much in Arizona, but as you get closer to the coasts where you may be swimming in the ocean and you may encounter a, a jellyfish and get a jellyfish sting. Um, and one of the you know tales or one of the treatments that we often hear about is you know urine to help with the jellyfish sting. So is it safe to you know urinate onto a jellyfish sting to help it? You know, I guess it depends on how many people are watching. Um, and if you don't mind doing certain things in public. Uh, the whole idea is to wash it off, whether it's an acid solution or a base solution. <clears throat> I've heard multiple different uh, ideas. Some people pour vinegar, uh, some people pour bleach. So honestly, I don't know the right answer. It, it, it's a public display of I'm not sure what, but you could be arrested for it. So I think I'd be careful about that. Um, I think if you go wash off with soap and water, you're probably better off. Yeah, and I think that's exactly the advice is, is you want to remove, you know, that toxin that's, you know, been entered into the skin from the jellyfish, you know, it was, with some sort of liquid, get it off of there so you're able to, you know, uh, start that healing and get away from that noxious type stimuli um, as well. One of the other, you know, myths that we often hear too is, is it's dangerous to hold in a sneeze? Is it dangerous to hold in a sneeze? <laughs> That's one of my pet peeves. Every time I see somebody do it, I say, don't do that, you'll pop. Um, believe it or not, yes, there is risk to it. You can overpressure, whether it's in your sinuses or in your lungs, especially people who have pre-existing diseases, they are more at risk. I have seen punctured lungs from people holding in sneezes, but they, again, don't have normal lungs. They have problems with their lungs. So. Yes, there is truth to this. Um, do people hold sneezes in all the time? Absolutely. Sneezes were not meant to stay in. It's a pressure release valve by having your mouth open. Um, <laughs> but people do it all the time. I just tell them, be careful, you're going to pop. Yeah, absolutely. Well, sort of as we're winding up our time together, you know, one of the, the most classic, you know, uh, comments that we hear in old wives' tales um, that may or may not have a truth is, an apple a day will keep the doctor away. So is there any truth to that? So the answer is yes, because I actually did a research project on that back when I was in college in one of my classes. So the theory was that if you eat an apple a day, you will have higher fiber intake and you will have better bowel movements. You will keep the doctor away by not having to have a problem with blockages or needing quote unquote a colonoscopy because there's something up there and you have good bowel movements, therefore you have better health. So that's where that actually came from. Uh, it was something in the 1800s I found a reference to that, but it was about having better bowel movements by eating fruit, fiber, which is a smart thing to do. So part of it is, yes, it's a myth. You'll still should see a doctor. You don't want to miss something. You always want to go visit your local doctor. It's good to make sure you're staying healthy. But eating a healthy diet lowers your risk. That's where that came from. Well, Dr. Vale, you know, you know, as we've had fun with these, you know, kind of comments and things today, you know, what should people take away as they hear some of these myths, you know, out in, in casual conversation or they're doing, you know, looking around, you know, and reading and, and they come across these things. What are some important things that we, we should, you know, be cognizant of as we're seeing this information? So there's a few things. Number one is common sense. Please use common sense. If something sounds a little too good to be true, it probably is. Number two, 
do a fact check. You know, uh, granted, you know, we always joke, don't let Google get in the way of somebody's medical degree, but there are chances to check it on the internet. Yes, but look at the source. Look at where it's coming from. Is it a reliable source? If it's a person's opinion, Wikipedia, things like that, I tend to say, please don't believe that when it comes to medicine. But you got to be careful because there are physicians and nurses and doctors and all kinds of healthcare people out there who are also misinformed. You know, we don't know it all. Uh, we're not walking encyclopedias, and the encyclopedia can be wrong, by the way. So fact check, validate, find out if it's real or not, and use common sense. Dr. Vale, thank you so much for your time today. It is a pleasure. I had fun with this one. If you missed any part of the show or want to hear something again, you can access all of our blogs and podcasts at valleywisehealth.org slash be well. Thank you and talk again soon. We hope you enjoyed listening to Wellness Now, brought to you by Valleywise Health and District Medical Group. If you're looking for more information about what you heard today, visit us online at valleywisehealth.org slash be well. There you'll find blogs, podcasts, and information about the healthcare providers you heard on the show. You can even book an appointment at a Valleywise Community Health Center near you. That's valleywisehealth.org slash be well. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again soon.